Hey guys, it's Tony. I'm here to talk to you about Awaken Conference. Now, Awaken is a young adult gathering in Charlotte, North Carolina from January 31st to February 2nd, 2020. And it's meant to help you recharge your spiritual life and connect with a community that you can grow your faith alongside. Now, this year's presenters include a killer lineup with Caleb Isley of Humans of Adventism and, of course, a friend of the podcast. He's been on a few episodes. Kim Cove, a licensed counselor, and Randy Ban, the creative producer at Nike World Headquarters. The keynotes will be brought by Ben Lundquist of the Rise and Lead podcast, uh, a good friend of mine and an amazing speaker. Trust me, guys, you will not want to miss out. And Absurdity will be there. So me and Becker, uh, you get, get to see us if you come out. Uh, would love to come and talk to you. We absolutely think that this is something you're going to want to come and see. Speaking of, if you enter the code Absurdity at awakennc.com, that's Absurdity, A-B-S-U-R-D-I-T-Y, at awakennc.com, you're going to get a 10% discount. We'd love to see you there. This is absolutely something that we support, and we think that Awaken is a part of the growing church movement that we want to see moving forward. Once again, if you enter code absurdity at awakennc.com, you'll get a 10% discount off the initial price. Love to see you guys there. Welcome to Absurdity with Ryan Becker. Hey guys, just before we jump into today's conversation, just want to remind you the giveaway is still going on through May 1st, 1159, 59 p.m. If you leave an iTunes review, it doesn't even have to be five stars. Obviously, I prefer it, but uh, it's not going to earn you any extra entries or anything like that. Names will be drawn at random for a $50 Amazon gift card if you leave a review on iTunes for this podcast. I appreciate you guys listening. And yes, if you have left a review prior to this giveaway starting, there's not that many people, um, then yeah, absolutely. You are entered in as well. Winners will be announced through my Twitter on May 2nd uh, and also on our website on May 2nd. So thank you guys so much for listening. Here's today's conversation. Hey guys, welcome back to Absurdity. I'm Ryan, and I'm here with Tony again. Uh, this is part of our string of episodes that we are recording together in Michigan. He is sitting four feet away from me as we record these, and I'm excited to get them out to you. It's more like three feet and seven eighths, but you know, whatever. Yeah, I be, mean, not are specific. we talking like, so we're sitting, are we talking toe to toe or chest to chest? I'm saying toe to toe. Toe to toe, three I'm feet. Toe -toe. Is it, is it, is it really three feet? I'd I mean, yeah, that's it's feet. a little bit, a little bit yeah. less than four, but that's fine. It's, it's, yeah. you know, we're sitting in his I'm apartment. Being... He's on his couch. I'm on a chair. This is, so this is, this is legitimately our setup. Yeah. I'm using a, a fold up table from Walmart for my microphone and audio interface. He is using a table from Walmart, I think. May, that, actually... My brother got them, so I have okay. no idea. And he's sitting on his couch. All right. And then I'm using a high chair for my desk for my Ch laptop. To record a cherry wood heart. Okay. It's beautiful. Just beautiful for the cherry. setting. Um, and we're sitting in the first level of a um, Berrien Springs apartment complex, which to any Adventists who have ever lived in Berrien Springs, <laughs> you know exactly what I am uh, talking about. It's a little uh, dank, man. It's, it is an apartment. Uh, it, is a, it is a place of residence. You know, in New York, this would be like $800,000. I know. So. That's... Yes, you would have to. You would have to give like your firstborn child's name 
and one of your legs to get this apartment. But it's how Michigan. do you give someone a it's, name? It's Michigan. Like, like how do you how do you, you, sell how do you the offer rights. it as payment? Like like a sports arena. Like you just you sell the rights to your so your first child is going to be whatever. Oh, it's going to be like the Parkland Parkland View Apartments Becker. You you probably put a mill name in there. Parkland View Apartments. Oh, see, I, I was uh, yeah. That's that's Becker. your yeah. That's yeah. So your son's name. Okay, so the right to name your son. yeah. The right to name your son. Oh, okay, got yeah. your firstborn. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay, that's fine. Or like sell them into slavery, but I, in this day and age, I think the the naming rights is just more valuable. We're not really big enough. Well, I depends on what market you're in. Unfortunately, it is true. Um, slavery is wrong on all fronts. Yep. All right, let's dive into <laughs> today's topic. That was it. That we ended it. We're that was so it. glad that you guys are here. Slavery's wrong. So today we're talking about ministry. So if you hate ministry, if you don't like ministry, you might as well just turn to a different podcast um, that you like more. Uh, we're talking about ministry. Uh, we talk about ministry pretty much every episode, but this one is more specifically from the the that within the the realm of doing ministry For sure. professionally, um, churches, Qu- like that. quote unquote, doing church. Yeah. So, um, Tony, do you want to kind of lead us into this as we talk about audiences? Yeah. This was like my. This came from an experience that I had um, over spring break. I went back home, um, and I'm not going to say where and which specific church. I, I went to a church that when I was growing up, um, I, te- I, te- I had been there before. We were not members, but we had been there. And it used to be uh, more balanced age-wise. It used to have kids and young adults and youth. Um, and when I went back, now it, 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 I say this very carefully, and this is part of my experience. When I was there younger, um, I had issues with it. Uh, there were yeah, it was not my cup of tea, shall we say? Um, and so I used to get just used to bother me when I was there. And this time that I went back, um, it, it, it was gray hair. I mean, it was a gray hair church. Um, and instead of feeling like peaked or annoyed, um, I was just sad. And then the service, and this is again no disrespect. This is just what happened, and this is my reaction to it. Um, it, it came straight from the 1970s. Um, the way the offering was done, the way that the music, the music all came, the way the harmonies were sung, everything, it felt like we were in the 60s and 70s. And, um, and, I, and I was just confused by it. I was like, how do they even survive? And I realized, oh, they're, they're, they're preaching to their audience. I mean, this is, the people there were enjoying it. And I'm like, how, this is, how are you, into this and i just realized oh you know what they're keeping the audience this is this is why they have gray hairs is because they are stuck in arrested development you know this is the this is the only audience they're ever going to attract because this is the only thing they're going to offer as far as a church service and and this is again not to comment on the other ministries they have and whatever and i'm sure that they're a very lovely church and we need to have ministry to our elderly. I am not in any way disparaging them. However, I am saying this church is going to die. Hmm. This church in 20 years is not going to exist, or it is going to go to a church of maybe 20, 20, provided they stay the same exactly as they if are. they don't change, yeah. if they go the way they, they are, they are headed. And, and uh, it was predominantly whites. There were some POCs there. Um, there were some minorities. Um, there were a few kids. There were POCs. Uh, children. There. Was was POD there? No. Oh man. <laughs> so P- um, POCs, but no POD. All right, yeah. fine. So um, 
but there were definitely I felt like a POW in it, but it was not. Oh my um, gosh. <laughs> it, it, it was yeah. But the reality is that um it just it was gonna die. I mean, I could see that future if it did not change. I saw the future of it and I just became so sad and I thought, man, but we do this. Like it just became like like my eyes were opened for a second to be like, oh my gosh, this is what we do everywhere. Um, we, and this is the point, this is kind of the point of the article. I want to talk about it. This, this episode, um, it, we're kind of trying some new stuff. This is going to be kind of uh, loosey goosey. We don't really have a bunch of extended notes. We're just going to see how this flows and how this conversation, but the reality is like, why do we accept the audience we have versus the audience that we need? Why are we okay with ministering to and attracting the audience that we are okay with and we want versus the one that we need? Because the reality is that community in where that particular church is, is does not reflect the members of that church and where the ministries of that church are. Mm -hmm. I can say that with all honesty, and it's not a critique per se, but it is in the sense of if you actually want to do what Jesus told you to do, and again, this is going into what church kind of is, and maybe we can answer that later, but if you're doing what Jesus actually wanted you to do, you're, you're, you can't do that and simply reach, only reach the people that look like you, sound like you, act like you. Well, I, I, hear, I hear it said a lot, churches for the people who aren't there yet, but most churches seem to operate for the people who are. I'm already there. We plant a church, and this is, again, I don't know how this is in the greater evangelical community. I feel like it's very similar unless it's intentional to what the Adventist church does, but this is my experience. This is the only thing I know. When we plant a church, it's because there are already five or six Adventist, Seventh-day Adventist families in that area, and we say, oh, there's five or six families here. Let's make a church. Instead of saying, where aren't there? Where is there no Christian presence? Let us plant a church there. Where do people need to get served the most? Let us serve there. And in that sense, all our churches, and I can, not all our churches again, never use always and ever. Um, <laughs> the majority of our churches that I have seen, and I have been, especially in, in the North American division, um, and this is the United States. Yeah, it's hard to say outside of that. We're both in the U.S. I have spent the majority of my time has been spent in the U.S. I know that this happens a little bit outside in some of the other places, but I know for the U.S. historically and still to this day, our churches are about are planted with an inward focus and not an outward focus. Maybe not at the beginning, and mm. there may be an Adventist historian who will correct me, but what I see right now, when I go out, and I have been to these backwoods, I have been to rural churches and steady churches, I've been to churches in the South, in the Northeast, in the Midwest, in the North, in the Northwest, in the West Coast, Southwest, I have been literally everywhere. And I can tell you that the majority of the churches are planted with an inward focus and not an outward focus. We are not where the people are growing. We are instead where they are either leaving or where they have been for, for eternity. So, you know, amen, hallelujah, pass the, the plate around. So my question is, how do we transition from the audience that we want to an audience that we need? How do we do that? Well, and, because and, our church is going to die. And the reality is for the evangelical community, and especially for, and I'm, I keep interrupting you. I promise I'll get off my soapbox, Ryan. <laughs> I, I, this is, this is a, a passion thing for me. Um, 
The reality is, right now, as it stands in the Seventh-day Adventist Church in particular, this is, again, what I know, but I also know in the evangelical community as a whole, um, thanks to the excellent work done by uh, the, the Barna Group, and it's, it's, it's a little bit old now, but it's still relevant, uh, you lost me, uh, talking about young adults in the church that have left the church. The reality is we're losing our young adults at an unsustainable, unsustainable rate. So yeah. our church is going to die. If we keep doing what we're doing, so how do we change? We need to, if we are going to survive, how, because we, if we lose an entire generation, the church is gone, how are we going to do this? How do we make that transition? Well, I think there are, I think there are some churches that do, that for the audience they want and the audience they need, they're the same thing. There are some churches that want people to come in from outside, um, and, and they want those people, but they don't know how to reach them, or they're scared of reaching them. So, so I, I know of a church, um, that really that that's in a low income area and wants to reach the community that that's in it but also doesn't want any of those members of that community to come in to the church um because, because they have nice stuff no not because they have nice stuff oh never mind but they're afraid of the crime rate this is true so it's like we don't want criminals in our church but then like okay so you want them to come but you want them to come pre-converted yeah like you want pre-converted people to come in you want so like and so we're afraid to go into the community. We're afraid to have the community come to us, but we want them to come if if they if they come on their own. And 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 in some of these churches as well, it's it's hard because, well, some of those low income communities, like, yeah, what people need is basic food and basic services. But we say, oh well, we give to them all the time, but they never show up. Okay, I didn't realize that our service was predicated on return. Basically, like I didn't realize that that Jesus only died for people who. Uh, who return or who accepted the gift, not for, you know, everyone. I'm not saying everyone is saved, but he died for everyone. Um, I, and he makes that forgiveness available to everyone. It's their choice whether they reject it or not. Um, but, it, but it bothers me that we, that we do that, um, that we say we, we make our service predicated on them giving back to us. What do we gain from serving? Exactly. Him? And, and that's not service, by the way. I hate forced service. It's an oxymoron. It does not exist. Now, I get intentional service. Like the serv- There's always every college that is an Adventist college will have a service day. Mm-hmm. And um, I understand why they have it. It bothers me on a level that I don't really understand because it's like, well, this isn't service. You're not actually serving because yep. you have to. There's a requirement. But I get being intentional about it. I get you have to, you know, sometimes you have to teach somebody to do something they don't want to do. But the whole point of service is you're doing it without, you know, it's unmerited, unrewarded action. Yeah. You know, I think one of the the hardest part being in ministry as pastors is you don't get to see the fruit of your investment a lot. Um, Our reward is in heaven, so to speak. So if you're a pastor... There are many things that you've done that you don't even realize. Okay, here's an here's an example. I was a uh, I've spoken at a ton of youth events through when I was in college. Uh, still do speak on occasion for youth events, and but in college it was like every weekend basically I was yeah, doing that. No, we were yeah. Um, that was that was literally our job, and uh, both Tony and I had the same job different times. Um, but we did work well, we together. Did, we, we, yeah, we together had, the first we had, semester. Yeah. Last semester yeah. we had we yeah. had together. You actually introduced me to this, but yeah, it was a lot of speaking yeah. many so, weekends. Um, but I I spoke at an event. Everything was great, and then two years, three years later, I'm at a different youth event, one that I go to every year. I've gone for almost a decade now, and uh, I'm now one of the... Co- I used to go as an attendee. Now I'm a coordinator for it, and I see this girl that looks really familiar. She's an attendee. She's a student, a high school student, and I'm driving by in the golf cart, and I stop her, and I see, you look familiar. 
how do I know you? Because it was driving me nuts. Like I knew who she was. And she goes, you spoke at a, at a retreat that I was at years ago. And I was like, yes, that's how I know you. I still forgot her name. She had to tell me her name. And then she said, low key, you changed my life when you spoke. And I was like, well, hey, praise God. But um, I was just like, wow. Like I would have never heard that if I hadn't stopped and talked with her. Like there's, there's so many instances where as ministers, we do good for people. Um, or, and we don't even realize we've done good for them, or we never get the thank you. Uh, we never realize what, how we've impacted someone, and we don't get the return on investment. And so it's, it's kind of annoying that our job is almost entirely predicated on that in some respects. Um, and yet then we serve in churches that refuse to, to operate without a measurable return on investment. And um, I get why you're also running a business to so, so to speak, and it's a nonprofit business, but you're still managing budgets, income, uh, you know, um, expenses, all that. But it is it is frustrating to me to see that. Um, the other thing that happens is, and I think this is this is this is big. Um, we don't let ministries die, um, and I think this is a big part of why we serve the audience we have instead of the audience we need. Come on now, um, talk about it. We want what brought us into the church and we want more of that. Mm-hmm. So if I was mm-hmm. baptized because of a, of a youth a specific youth rally, right. Um, then I want that youth rally to keep continuing because I was so blessed by it. all these other youth are going to be blessed by it too. Well, what if that youth rally is no longer effective or what if the model that we were using was outdated? The yeah. method may work for, may mm-hmm. have worked for you five, 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. That doesn't mean it works today. Um, maybe the rally still will work, still will work, but maybe not in that form, maybe not in that method. Um, but But nostalgia is the greatest enemy of progress. Absolutely. Um, the concept of nostalgia, and this is a Mad Men shout out for sure. Um, those of you who, who don't like that show or are judging me now because of it, um, it won Emmys. I'm judging you. So, you know what? It won Emmys. Okay. Yeah. What's an Emmy worth in heaven, Tony? An Emmy. Um, That's what an Emmy is. I mean, it's, now. it's pavement, but oh, it's still funny. an Emmy. Um, the the point is that in it, the the main guy is talking about, and I, you know, I won't get into it, but he's talking about this device, um, and it's the uh, um, now I'm not going to remember the name of it. I had it in my head. Anyway, it, it takes these photo slides and it shoves them. Um, it clicks them. It's called the carousel. Thank you, photo carousel. Yeah, no problem. Um, Happy to help. Becker was staring at me and it made me remember. Uh, so it's called the photo carousel and it clicks up and it gets the next one. And if any of you grew up, you know, in the nineties, you still remember some of these. Um, some of you may have still thought them. I know, my church before they had a, a projector, that's what they were using. I remember just, there was a guy there and he would, and you saw the next thing. And he argues for why this is a great investment because of nostalgia. He says his first job was working with a Greek guy and nostalgia is a word that literally means when you feel the pain of an old uh, war wound Mm. and you remember that, that pain and it's a bittersweet pain because you remember the, the glory of battle and the, uh, you know, the, the whole like, Oh yeah. And, and it's a veteran looking back and, and, and being reminded of those times as a young man. And, nostalgia is not a bad thing in and of itself, but it is definitely the enemy of progress because I can tell you that there are institutions and there are buildings and there are places that need to die. But because we have nostalgia um, or would be more effective in a different area, I I make babe saying great again. (laughs) I make, 
there's a school, there's an Adventist school in a particular state that if they sold it because of, I have to be very careful, if they sold it right now, even still with the, with the, with the economy where it's, it's not exactly great, um, if they sold it because of the way that the property value has risen, they could build another one in another part, not even that far, within driving distance of that campus. They could build it for, I think, like... 15th or 20th of the cost they could build a better facility and they could set up like a 20 million dollar um fund like in an escrow or trust fund account that would or not but you know what i'm saying a cd account a building account where the interest from that would be enough to set up a scholarship system and it would grow you know like it would eventually the, the investment would keep going up and the point of that being the reason why they haven't changed, and this is legitimate, and I'm not kidding when I say I have intimate dealings with this, and I'm not saying it's right, bad, or, or, or not. I have my own personal feelings. But the reason why they do not do that is because people say, I went to school here. If we moved it, it wouldn't, I don't want it moved. I want it to be in that same place. Yep. That's literally it's the reason no why they went through this. no longer my school if I... Yeah, it's, it won't feel it like my school. I want it to be there. This is where we've been for centuries and so on and so forth. And it's like, you can literally rebuild it. You could take the bricks for the amount of money you could sell this land for and rebuild it and move them to this new location so that it looks literally exactly like it. Yeah. And still have a significant portion of money. And it just is ridiculous to me that we, because of nostalgia, don't do that. And again, this is not a critique of the people who did that. They're doing it for their reasons. However, I go, how much more effective would it be? And it's the same thing. I mean, how much more effective would our worship services be? Because there is no biblical evidence for how to do a worship service. Sorry for everybody who has this. Read the Bible. There is no biblical evidence. There's no prescription. How? There is no description of it. Yeah, liturgy is There not. is no way. We get it from the Catholic Church. So for those of you who are like, hey, but the way we do church as Seventh-day Adventists and as Christians as a whole comes from the Catholic Church, not from the Jews. A lot of things we do in liturgy and things like that it tend is. to be, yeah. It's, it's the, the way it's all set up, the words we use. The words we actually use come not only from the, the Roman Catholic Church, from the from the from the Roman army system. Well, yeah, and, and so well, and you've got the example of like communion, where uh, we don't we don't believe yeah. that the bread and the wine, red juice, um, are um, are actually the body and blood of Christ. They're symbolic of them, and yet in our church manual it says to bury them and pour them out. Uh, whatever's left after communion service. Either you go do it with your members that are missing, but whatever is left over, you bury. But it's not, it's just a symbol. <laughs> like, but we get that from, from putting too much and, importance. And, and I was told by a professor at a major Adventist college, we do that because they are sacraments. <laughs> <laughs> and I looked at him like, are, are, you, are you serious right now? Are you? <laughs> Like, like, I, he's, are, he's a are you kidding me? Yeah, well, I don't want to start that. But <laughs> his theology is 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 legit. He is not a Jesuit. I can promise you that. But the what? Because that, by the way, the way he's the reason he said this is because that's what he was taught. Yeah. Because nos, nostalgically, I don't know if that's a word. It is now. Historically, I guess. Historically, that's what we've taught, and we've just been okay with that answer. 
And it's like, is that the most effective? Yeah. No, but we refuse to change because we have nostalgia, like you said, for the way that we came in. And, and dude, it it boggles my mind. Like I just ask people the question why, and I I almost got attacked, physically attacked by one of my church members for asking why. Like, why do we have church on the Sabbath? And and like you could, I watched her brain implode on itself. It's like I'm divided by zero is, Mm. is the physical, like I asked her this mind boggling question that she just, because we do, how dare you even question the, and like, she got like physically angry because I was just saying, I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just asking why I'm just asking, why do we do it? Yeah. And I do think it's a perfect day. And you know what I mean? Like I'm not, and again, this is not a, I'm not trying to blow everyone's mind. I just asked her a simple question. Why do we do it the way we do it? And no one had ever asked because we're so okay. And I I agree with you. There are some ministries at churches that I see that we still do, even though no one's doing it well. Why do we have children's story? I asked somebody that and it, and they just were like, well, we just always do it. And I go, I think there's a reason for it, but I think it totally breaks up the flow. I think there are way better ways of doing it than having them come to the front. Um, I, I, yeah, but then how do we do lambs offering? Uh, how do we get the money? How see, do we again, how do we again, get more money from again. people if, if the children are already already up? I mean, dude, we could do a whole podcast. In fact, let's do a whole podcast <laughs> on money at some point. But I, I, the way we even ask for money to me, I think, is ridiculous. So that lambs offering and all this, I'm like, why are we guilting people into giving? That's the wrong motivation. So to me, it's like I think there are certain things that we need to look at, take a hard look at, remove the sentiment. Okay, mm-hmm. remove the sentiment from it that might have been good in its time, but look at it. But the problem I think that we also have with this is okay, where do you draw the line? Yeah. Well, you, you had a great phrase with that. So I, I asked asked that question because you said it so you you phrased it so well. Well, I, right before I do that, I want to I want to comment on what you just said. No, um, no. Okay, well then here's the question. <laughs> no, I basically I, I've talked about this before on the podcast, way back near the beginning. But I talked about projecting your experiences onto others. Yeah, that was a good episode, um, by the way. And I and I talked about it within the realm of sin. So if music was a sin, if certain types of music was a sin for you, don't project that onto someone else because someone else might have come to Christ through that same music. Um, so it, maybe maybe it was sinful because it, it, it for you. That doesn't mean it's sinful for everyone. Um, same deal. Um, now I want to flip it and just say, don't project your experiences, even positive ones, onto other people, and say, just because you're, just because what's, just because something saved you, doesn't mean it's going to save and work for everyone. The method dies, the mission continues. And uh, one of the ways I've actually preached on this a lot, uh, the the way I actually I, I state this is, the mission is concrete. Uh, the mission is concrete. The method is fluid. Um, the method is ever changing, ever ever adapting, ever. Uh, ever looking at culture and, and seeking to enter into culture, but the mission never changes. Our mission, our, our vision, our goals are always the same. The way we accomplish them changes with the times. And that leads into this question, which is, okay, fine, great, that's easy to accept, but then what is the line between contextualization and conformity? Because we've got to be in the world, not of the world. You're a citizen of heaven, but you're a you're a person on earth, and I'm doing all these wild hand motions that no one can see except for Tony. I was literally um. about to say like <laughs> we're what? not we're not being videoed, but uh, you can tell. What's funny is like you can hear 
how someone's like gesticulating really bigly yeah. on the, again, a word that doesn't exist bigly, but you can tell like when they're getting like passionate and it's like, yeah. I bet, so what, I bet what, they're moving. So yeah, this is, we're going to, because we're clearly experts on this, we're going to, we're going to answer the question. We're what breaking is the this down between contextualization and conformity. So to define that, um, let me, let me put it this way. Contextualization is the act of, of uh, modifying your methods in order to reach um, a culture. So it's making, it's basically making something relevant to a group of people or a situation that you're in. Perfect example um, of this is there was a, there was a missionary who went up to the Inuit people up North. Um, as, I should opposed say to the in, as, as opposed I should to the say, Inuit people down South. Yeah. Um, the, he went to the Eskimo, I should say, because that's a greater term. I'm not sure if it was the Inuit, but it was in the tundra, North Canada, um, the Arctic. And he was, trying to explain the gospel to them and he used the phrase the lamb of god and they're like what's a lamb they had no context of what a lamb is so then he changed it to the white seal pup of god oh man i was so hoping you were gonna say penguin no no but that would have been good right (laughs) like that would have been good too um but like the white seal pup of god because they got that a a seal pup is very small and trusting and and helpless um in in a great big horrible world and so there's also right you have yeah. a white seal pup that is unspoiled it's not darkened it's, it's it's that's contextualization conformity however then is um basically uh sacrificing your values or your your ethics whatever your foundational operating principles are in order to look like the world so you're, you're basically giving up and, and sacrificing something in order to um, look exactly like the world. Contextualization involves some sacrifice um, in, in, in that you're getting rid of the nostalgia. You're sacrificing what you were attached to at one point, and now you're you're moving into something new. But I think conformity is literally just the act of... If someone has conformed, if you cannot tell the difference... I don't want to be that strong, actually. I'm going to take that back. Um, but but conformity is, is um, when you can no longer identify what makes... Um, what makes a church within the we're talking within the church realm, but conformity is what is when you cannot identify what makes a church unique from the rest of the world. Uh, when you can no longer identify what's different about an organization in contrast to where they're operating in, then congratulations, you've got conformity. Contextualization, you can still see what's unique, but you can also see the flavors of the culture and um, the the place that they're in. So um, that's kind of, that's how I would define them. I don't know if you would define them differently, but that's kind of, that's, I, I, we need some sort of operating I, I, basis. Yeah. I would be stronger in conformity, but I think that's a good definition of it. Yeah. I just don't want to say like, no, if yeah, you can't, yeah, because there yeah. are people that identify yeah. contextualization as conformity. And that's exactly, I think that's the problem is that there's, there is a subtle difference. And this is, I think the issue that a lot of people don't understand that difference. They see any change as conformity. Yes. And they go, this is the way. And and the problem with that is we become, in a sense, like the Amish community. The Amish community decided randomly that certain things, certain technology and a certain age, like from the year 1821, everything past that is considered modern and is considered evil. Hmm. Now, this is a hardcore community, right? Like, I'm not saying there are some that, I mean, they use electric, you know. These electric stuff. And the it, Amish it, is a hardcore community. Yeah, there's there are some hardcore Amish, man, like straight up Orthodox Amish, and then there's some just, that are like like I come from a music. I don't come from a music background, but I come from like growing up listening to hardcore music. So I'm just like picturing a bunch of moshing Amish right now. Well, I won't get into that, but but they <laughs> the, they 
they decided that a certain time and it, and it was completely subjective. It was completely arbitrary. They just said, this is simple and not, and, and everything else is, is evil. And to, uh, to a greater extent, we actually do that in the Adventist church. Um, we say certain things are and are not. And the problem is anything after Ellen White was banished to Australia is uh, sinful. Yeah. No, I, I won't. <laughs> Whoo! Trigger words. Trigger words. But Australia the is, is not that bad of a place. All right, Tony. You know, you know Australians are. Cool I'm not going to say the joke that came to my head, but there's a there's a good one, and I'll tell it to you later. For those of you who contact me on on Twitter, if you hear this episode, and then screenshot the joke, D- and DM put it me. Yeah, like DM me, and I will tell you the joke. Um, the point is that we really tend to do this, and, and here's a perfect example. If the people who wrote the hymns that a lot of people in our community hold as sacred have the same mentality as the people who then hold them sacred had back then, they would never have written those hymns in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. They would have. We'd still be doing. We would still be doing Gregorian chants. We'd still. Like we would still be doing those hymns because they had a mentality of this is a beautiful song. Or Danny Boy. I mean, we have Danny Boy, a song for an Irish wake. Okay, more babies have been born to Danny Boy than than like it's ridiculous. So we have these songs that are not even Christian songs, and they took them and said, "This melody is beautiful. I'm going to write song a, a lyrics, or I'm going to write a song for Jesus." And now there are certain people that say, "Well, we can't sing anything else. These are the only acceptable hymns mm-hmm. that are okay." And if we had that mentality back then, we wouldn't have written them. And, and that's the idea yeah. of we choose an arbitrary line and say, "This is holy. Everything past that is ridiculous and evil." Mm-hmm. Well, and 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 I would add. Um, as we talk about contextualization, um, we're not saying that hymns are bad or Gregorian chants are bad. Of course not. Uh, there's beauty in hymns. What I'm saying is we need to continually be looking at ourselves critically, um, not being critics, but looking at ourselves critically to say, and that's basically what we do on this podcast all the time, to say, what um, what can we do better? What are, what can How can we improve? How can we change what we're doing? How can we How can we improve what we're doing? so that we are more effective servants of God. So we're more effective Christians, evangelists, whatever. Um, and, and that's what we're doing. So when we talk about hymns, contemporary if it, you know, contemporary music is now being accepted. Um, and, and every generation does this, right? Like every generation says, what well, we did was the best, because nostalgia is one heck of a drug. Like, it really is. You know what's hilarious is that Nowadays, if you looked at it, this is a very Adventist quote for our people who are not Adventist friends. You can do some research on them. But there's, there was this folk trio that came up in the 1970s uh, called the, uh, the Wedgwood Trio. And they were like a, a upright bassist, a banjoist, and a classical guitarist that did this like folk music in the 70s. And they were considered wild and crazy guys back then in the 70s because they weren't doing the songs from the 1920s and 30s that were good. This was contemporary music. And if you listen to them today, you would say, what is this? This is the worst Sufjan Stevens song I have ever heard. Um, it, it, it's just, it's it, it's this Mm. old music it's the best way to say it it's oldies and yet in their time they were considered woo they were on the edge and the funny thing is now those people look at people doing music today and i'm not saying the woodwood trio but i'm saying the people who listen to them in the day being the wild rebels they look 
our music, quote unquote, of our generation and say, oh, they're rebels. And in 20 years, they're going to look back on Hillsong or Elevation Music or Bethel and be like, wow, what is up with this old stuff? Like mm-hmm. they still used actual physical instruments instead of the nephrology. And we'll do it. I'm sure we'll do it at some point. I probably I, have I'm, already done it. Um, I heard, I heard, and again, this is just, this is just eh, I heard dubstep contemporary christian and i immediately was like yeah planet what, shakers what is this planet shakers, like I, I, I had that moment i was like what is this like man this is i grew up on dc talking and uh oh man uh i'm old like i, <laughs> I immediately i just He's confounded i went out and bought my i went out and bought myself a set of suspenders and house slippers and i just that day listen all right don't knock house slippers one of my church members knits like makes house slippers and she gave me a pair i would like, i would pay first. for they're glorious i'm in michigan so they my are, feet are always they cold are wonder they're the greatest things ever if she would knit um, me a pair of socks and or house slippers yeah, they'll be house slippers i will you, pay them i will right now do you do you want a pair yes all right deal. this is happening you're gonna get a you're pair hearing, when, when you when you come down to visit me in charlotte you um, guys are hearing history being we'll, made we'll right post now. a picture and we'll update you when that actually happens but the point is like you know it's that mentality that nostalgia of, of every generation has done this i'm sure that that's i'm i'm absolutely 100 percent sure that in John's day, there were people who were John's contemporaries who were looking at him saying, look at these kids today listening to that fancy symbol music out there. Like, I'm 100% sure that happened, and I'm not knocking any, again, of our elderly who do this, because it, it's any age group, by the way. This is not an age thing. No, 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 no. Not because I have been to a large Adventist function that I'm legally not allowed to mention, where that was the pervasive mentality. You, If I had gone up to this thing with a guitar or, God forbid, a drum, uh, I would have been killed. And by the way, I'm just going to say this is my personal opinion again. I don't really care what you think about this. Percussion is specifically mentioned five times in the Bible, more so than any other instrument. Well, so so I'm going to take a hard stand on that. If you hate me, DM me, and we can have a discussion about this. Um, but my point is... Tony is I very single, that, so he's asking people to DM, please, just to slide please, into them DMs. Just slide. Slide in. I'm, just slide I just right want to meet in. someone. But my point is, again, <laughs> is this mentality. It's absurd that we have this nostalgia for things that we didn't even grow up with because we refuse to have that. And now and our, churches, we our, our churches are dying and we have this it's more than music it's the way we dress it's the way we dress it's the way we do whatever you are taught that's what you will project the majority of our ministries are still stuck in an age where they do not exist we still make magazines as a church do you understand this we were talking about this the other night life magazine life magazine is gone not just oh they went online they do not exist anymore as a publication because magazines are dead and we as a church still make them we are using an extinct technology mm-hmm. like that is ridiculous to me i think yeah and and, and i get we, you can't just suddenly stop it because there are some people like i oh, of I course people, i know people who you know don't even have computers uh, who are Christians and Adventists and never have had one, never have used one. So it's like, you got to reach them too. So it's like, no, no, no. You've definitely, I'm saying, you've definitely saying, phased, do you understand? Do you, yeah. You know, can, yeah, can you yeah. see how yeah. like that kind of mentality? Yes, you want to reach everybody, but I'm like, it's done. We've moved on. Like the world has, sorry, the, you know, like. It's sad that we're constantly playing catch up. Video killed the radio store. And yet we still are using that ministry. And this is, I will fully admit, this is a Western 
mentality. The radio is still very effective in the majority of parts of the world. But I'm like, dude, why are we still using felt boards? Yo, on don't, our TV? You, don't you dare talk about my felts like that. All right. <laughs> There's a specific <laughs> listener. There's a specific regular listener. He knows who he is. He's been on this podcast before. Okay. He and I will fight you over felts. And ladies and gentlemen, I, I retract my statement on felt boards. Ladies and gentlemen, this is exactly how progress stops because I say felts are amazing, and I do think felts are great. I think felts are awesome. I, I agree that I don't know why we use them, but I love them for some for some dumb reason. They never worked with me, but I love them. But it's it's that exact argument. Like, you needed to like, see Becker's face. I, I wish, was angry. I, I wish you guys could have seen it. Um, <laughs> But yeah, it's that it's that exact <laughs> attitude that we don't want to let go of the things we like or the That's things that exactly work with it. us. Um, and, and I will also state really quickly, just to play devil's advocate, I am not advocating change for change's sake. Please do not misunderstand me. Um, let's shake things up. I'm not just saying shake things up just because. I'm not, there's there's beautiful things about our church and church service and ministries that we do that Absolutely. I think are timeless. Absolutely. But I think we have no reason to hold. I'm just asking why are we? Why don't we? Why don't we even question them? Like why do we do it yeah. this way? And and I have talked to so many different professors and ministers about why we do these things, and they go, "Well, I think it's just this and that." And I go, "That's those are." They don't have good answers, and I'm not just saying subjectively, like, "Oh, well, those weren't good answers for me." They did not provide empirical evidence for it. Outside of nostalgia and sentiment, they did not provide any reason. Not that that's not a good reason, but I go, it's not effective. Yeah. Well, okay, so so, what's the line then? How do we identify contextualization in, instead of conformity? How do, we, how do we contextualize without conforming? Um, that's the question everyone is asking. It's every minister asks that. And it's di- the answer is, I think, different for every situation, every city, every church, every person. It's different because it's based on your surroundings. Um, to some extent, contextualization is completely based on your context. Oh, wow. Go figure. <laughs> that's the word. Let's break down uh, this word. But, um, yeah, how do you, how, what's, what's, what's the line? Where, where do we, how do we determine it? Uh, what do we do with it? How do we work with it? How do we mold it? How do we shape ourselves? Things like that. So what do you, what do you think? You know, I, I think it boils down to... You're wrong. <laughs> ah, dude, we don't made, boil anything. You have, you have made me laugh so many times on this podcast, <laughs> which I'm breaking like rule number two or three on podcasting, which is like never like break down and laugh. Like that's a bad... That's a no no. <laughs> he started no. crying when I, t- when I told him, don't, don't take away my I'm felt. not kidding. I, yeah. Anyway, um, that's a hard question. And, and I'm not, look, I get that I'm soapboxing and ranting a little bit right now. My point is to make people think. I don't think there's a good quote unquote answer for everybody out there. Um, the good, the quote unquote is not for answer, it was for good. Um, I want to make sure <laughs> there's not a answer per se. Yeah. There's not a good answer. Um, or a complete answer for everybody. But I do think that the line between contextualization and conformity comes from and with, is this something that brings people closer to Jesus? Mm-hmm. Um, I was not a fan, and I got to be honest, I grew up in a very conservative, very traditional home, um, Hispanic traditional Adventist home. Growing up in that environment, I was not very impressed or a fan or a supporter of contemporary Christian concerts. 
I went to one because a friend of mine invited me. It was a Friday night. It was a Vespers thing. I'd never been to one, and they were so excited about it. I wanted to support them, and so I went. What's crazy is when I was there, even though it was not my thing, I saw people who, when this, and and I will say that this particular group did an excellent job. This was a church service. Understand, they prayed. They gave glory to God before and after every every song or every you know set. Um, they read Bible verses. They made an appeal. Okay, and I understand this was this was a very sacred church service to them. They did an excellent job. But I saw people there who the Spirit was breaking down, and God was given glory and honor, and it pointed people towards Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. To me, I go. This is not my thing. I maybe will never, and, and I'm not saying I do or do not send people to it that's for me not for you but whether i did or not i i was able to acknowledge the contextualization of the gospel message for this particular group and i go they're reaching they're reaching these people this is their audience and they're reaching them and how can i utilize this in the same breath i have been a part of a worship team that went out and sang hymns and only acoustic hymns, no drums. I think we use a djembe, uh, not a djembe, uh, sorry, a, a box. A cajon, yeah. Uh, a cajon. But um, I don't even know if we did. Say we didn't. Let's say we didn't even use it. Let's say it was just even a piano. And they sing hymns, and I watched God break people down. And again, this is music in particular, because I know that that's a, but that's mm-hmm. the example I have. I watched God break people down using those hymns. Yeah. And it pointed people to Jesus and it gave him glory. To me, that's the difference between contextualization and conformity. I have, I have heard music done that did not point people to Jesus. It said his name in it, mm. but it did not drive people to him to want to change their lives. It did not want them to spend more time with him. It left them simply with a happy feeling or not even a happy feeling. It just was like, oh, this is music that I like, and it says Jesus. Yeah. And I go, that's the difference between conformity and contextualization. Well, I think, too, in, in your story, there's definitely an error of this up until you asked, how can I utilize this? Uh, there's, a, there's this error or implication of stay in your lane. Um, yeah, correct, yeah. And, and, and understanding, like, all right, cool, this is effective, but it's not for me. That doesn't mean I need to be an active agent against it. Um, what, if they're not for us, they're not, like, in, in is it Acts, I think? Maybe it's not Acts. Maybe it's no. It's it's Acts. I think four. Where they see where they see the the people. Yeah, Gamaliel. Yeah, the Gamaliel's yeah, yeah, yeah. response. Yeah. So they're if they're not if they're not against us, then they're on our side. No, uh, no, 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 no. You're talking. This is. This I, is I'm a, talking. This it is was a gospel. Jesus thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah this it's is in Jesus. the gospel. This is yeah, the yeah. Jesus thing. Yeah. But the same sentiment is echoed in in Acts. Yeah. There's a Peter and John go. They're they're in the temple. They're beaten, and the people say, "Don't ever work against them." And they're like, Peter and John are like, "No, we're we're definitely going to keep talking to people about Jesus." And one of the Pharisees, a, a great teacher, like basically says, "Get them out of the room," and then says to everybody, "Look, hey, don't fight this because look, people have come before claiming to be a Messiah. When they died, all their followers went away, and it, nothing happened. You know, this has happened multiple times." And he gave you know two specific examples, historical examples that we know exist. And then he said, if this is of God, if this is not of God, it's going to go away. He's going to mm. get rid of it. But if it is, we will find ourselves working against God. Yeah. So I, that, and so stay in your lane, definitely. If something isn't for you, then don't be, that's fine. But you can identify when it works. I mean, I, I didn't like, 
I mean, I listened to contemporary Christian music, and I wasn't a big fan of hymns growing up, but I hated live worship music. When live worship music started, like, not live worship music, like being in the room with live music, live worship music in churches, but I mean like live worship music albums. I hated hearing the applause of the audience. I hated the the echo, the reverb, all that. Like I hated the different sound that live albums had until I went to Passion Conference in Atlanta my freshman year of college. And I sat in the room and the first, it was, it was uh, Chris Tomlin and he played How Great Is Our God, which this is 2012, I think, that I, did, that I did this. So How Great Our God has been out for a long time, been out for probably more than a decade at that point. You're totally dating yourself. Yeah, no, that's fine. Um, it's not that How Great Our God, How Great Is Our God was the big deal. It was, um, it was that suddenly, this was so cool, during, during his music or during, during, during his set when he played How Great Is Our God, suddenly all, and you can find this video on YouTube, uh, all these other artists from different countries started coming out. And they literally, they flew in artists from different countries who speak different languages, sing different languages, and they sang How Great Is Our God in multiple languages. And it's being in that room, like just being in that room and experiencing that with everyone. I was like, God is here. Like, it, it was incredible. Between that and then later on, we saw Hillsong perform and they played with everything. Um, and that those two moments in that same conference were what finally did it for me because now I can listen to live worship albums and go, I know what it's like to be in that room. And it's powerful and it's and and it is incredible and it's it's something that is in in many ways indescribable as I describe it to you with words. Um, it, it, but once again, it's this air of. Um, I think stay in your lane, be able to identify when something is, yeah, it's great for others, even if it's not great for you. I, to me, this whole thing comes down on projecting your own nostalgia onto other people, really projecting is. your own yeah. salvation experience onto other people. That's what it comes down to for me. Look, I love that I grew up in the Hispanic community and they have something called Jovenes, which is basically a youth vespers. Now it's quote unquote ran by youth for youth. It isn't, it's a whole church thing. Just so everyone is aware, let's call it what it is. The whole church gets involved, but the youth are nominally in charge. Um, and depending on the and which church, you know, they tend to be more in charge or less in charge. Yeah. But anyway, it's a Vespers, and this happens every week. Every church has it. It's a big church function. I grew up with that. I was used to that. It was my thing. Then I came to a Anglo church, Caucasian church. They did not do anything on Friday, and I tried so hard to set it up because I had experienced... And I'm a pastor now. I had experienced such a great blessing of welcoming in the Sabbath on Friday night or on Saturday night um, with, with uh, you know, this hoveness, with this idea, um, this Vespers idea, and they would not. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just did not happen. It's not in them. And I realized I, while I do, and I still believe that they would have got a blessing. Don't get me wrong. I still think I'm still, you know, I'm not bitter, but I'm definitely frustrated that it never got going but i had to stop and say okay is this what they want is this context the best place for it probably not if i have to if i have to fight so hard for it no i'm not reaching them where they need to be now i still think that could be a blessing anytime you spend with god with other people is a blessing however i had to find other ways to do it and so i did i found other ways because that was to me contextualization of that how do i get this blessing that i got growing up with this and put it to them and so i did something else i found another way to do it and they still got the same blessing Mm -hmm. but it was a different way 
And that to me is contextualization. It's letting go of what I think is the right way and saying, God, what are you saying? And, and that way I can reach the community that is there. Because the reality is, if you don't do that, man, your churches are going to die. And, yep. and I won't get started about churches that it started culturally, because that's a whole other podcast episode. But there are churches that set up culturally in America, and, re- and, and they set up their own insert country name church, right? The blank Seventh-day Adventist church. And or the the city name, culture Adventist church, um, or Baptist or Pentecostal or, or whatever, or whatever. Again, I, I speak from my community, and there is no blank culture. It's like three or four families, yeah, that got and that's it. And, and they just, but they don't want to. They don't want to reach a community. They want to bring them in and be like, "You are still from our country. This is who you are." And I go, "Well, okay, I respect that, but don't you have home life for that?" Are you actually reaching your community? Now, if there's a huge community of that there, of course, that makes sense. Go for it. That makes sense to provide a place that is needed. But I go, is that what needed? Or are you making church about you? Well, I think, think too, this comes down to, are you even considering those outside your walls? So I uh, one time suggested uh, that during the offering portion of the service, uh, we make sure that everyone, we read this offering uh, spiel that tells everyone where the money that they give is going every every Saturday, and um, I mentioned very casually. I, I I had said we need to change this, but I, I very casually just said in the future I'd like us to start um, at the end of every offering or even at the beginning, saying if you're a visitor here, don't feel inclined to give any money. We're glad that you're here with us, but just let the offering plate pass you by unless you want to give. If you want to give, you're more than welcome to, but please don't feel an obligation to give money to us. Um, just worship with us and. And I got pushback for it. I just casually mentioned it, and I, I wasn't actually pitching it yet. I was just saying, in the future, we're going to make this change, sort of deal. And I got pushback on it. Like, why do we need to do that? Which so, is ridiculous. Yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, like, this, like, why don't not, we yeah. don't need to do that? Um, visitors can give, and I'm like, I didn't say they couldn't. I, I want, but there was this air of like, and I said, you don't under. I, I said there are people who will come into this, who will come into the church with a heavy distrust of it for financial reasons. I know of pastors who've embezzled purely, money. Yeah, purely there, financial yeah. reasons. Uh, there are other people who are just bitter because they don't trust us. So if we say, if we welcome them in and say, "Yeah, you were here, and we don't expect anything of you," we might actually be able to build a relationship with them. And look, if you aren't aware of the reputation that the Christian, especially the conservative Christian, Christian conservative Christian community. Christian community has in the world, uh, go on Reddit. <laughs> Read some comments. They think oh, it is man. a financial scam. Absolutely. Now, again, I, you know, we, let's do it. The next episode we're going to do, we're going to make it about money. But money, 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 money. the point of that is the people who are coming in, the young people coming in, their mentality of the church is it's here to get me money. I don't, it's yeah, here it's to get, get my money. money. No, I, don't, I don't trust the organization. So I, yeah, the, yeah. It's just there to get my money. And a simple way to make them feel that way is, hey, you know what? Don't, don't it's just taking the pressure actually off them. so if you if you feel blessed hey yeah go ahead and give but but don't don't feel pressured to do that um, that's not why we want you here that's not why we want you as a part of this community this is just a time for yeah. us as a community to open up there's a there's another podcast sorry my phone dropped uh there's another podcast um 
Oh no, Ross and Carrie. They basically their their tagline is "We attend religious events so that you don't have to." Uh, and then they report oh, on gosh. that. And they went. Uh, they, and, and what they do, they they attend. They earnestly ask questions. They're very intentional about. They go intentionally seeking answers and figuring out who did it, who's who's behind it, whatever. Um, and then they rag on it when they get back on their podcast because they think it's all bogus, anyways. And they went to a revelation seminar, and they did a five part episode series. Um, six part actually, because they actually interviewed the evangelist that came with amazing facts and they, they attended all like 20 some odd, um, meetings, presentations, seminars, and they critiqued each one. They went through, they all took notes every night of the presentations, what everything. And, and they, they ripped it apart and I loved it because <laughs> there are some things in Daniel and revelation seminars that I'm not a big fan of. And they hit on most of them. Um, I think they're good for a certain group of people. Contextually, I wish we would do something a little bit different. Um, that's not, it's not like I hate them. I just tend to disagree on some things, on, on methodology. But I stay in my lane, and I let them do them, because there's an audience that that works with, and I'm happy to see it work. Um, but one of the things they said was they respected so much, I think they said this in like episode three, was that every night they, did, they passed around money, and they said, if you because the church was there too, um, they said, don't... If you're a visitor here, don't worry. You don't need to give anything. And they they strongly emphasized it and said, we respect that so much because most of these, that's how we knew that this was genuine. These are genuine people that really care about us. Uh, these weren't people that um, were just after our money. In fact, they told us, don't, don't do that. Now they did, Amazing Facts did sell products out at the back that they could, like the DVD set for the whole series. At the end, you could, you could take home, you could buy. Um, but they weren't shoving that in your face either. It was just at a table in the back. But they respected us so much just for not asking for their money. So there are ways we can build trust, and I think it's so tone-deaf, ignorant, um, and to be honest, inexcusable if we are going to sit here and lack or not even seek to have any understanding of the community around us, the community that we're in, and and contextualize to make sure that those people feel welcome in our churches. Because the reality is... If we don't do that, like I said before, we're going to die. Yep. And I would hate to have that happen. I mean, that's why I do this. I, I love our church. As much as I rag on it, I, I rebuke rag, those. Yeah, I chasten those which love I love. Um, you know, I don't rag on as much as I, well, I do on the Dodgers, but I don't rag on the majority of sports teams uh, because I really don't care. You get the angriest um, at your own the, yeah, but you know, you I don't really yeah. care about the moves that the Cincinnati Reds made because I'm a Dodgers fan. I don't care what they do. I'm like, oh, all right, whatever, Sorry, Steve. Um, and I did that specifically because one of my best friends is is a is a, you know Sorry. best of friends. <laughs> Sorry, Steve. But the reality is just that is is that I don't really care yeah. what what unless these they take other your favorite teams player. do unless they take my favorite player unless it has relevancy to me because I care and then but I will I will to the end of days be like why why did you trade you know. Pedro Martinez with the line on the shields. It's ridiculous. I will do that because I care. And this is the reality of my church. I don't want it to die out. Yeah. And I will say this, this is definitely in the North American division. Again, this is my context. Um, because again, revelation seminars work really well outside of the U S yeah, they do. They're I mean, great. They're, and they, they're, they were, I mean, we still need, there's still, still things that we, we do wrong. We had doors busting down in like the 70s and 80s and 90s around around Revelation seminars. But, like, but we we just need to change it up. And again, it's that nostalgia. And there, there is an audience that that still works with. So by all means, still have them. I just don't want one method prescribed 
for and, everyone. And, and, and again, it's this nostalgia. You know, I was specifically told. I was specifically told by a, an official in a conference. You will do it the old way first, the old proven way first. And I go that mentality. And I just said, I'm I'm never going to agree with this guy because that mentality is wrong. You get one shot. It's the old proven way. It's it's and that's basically it. And that was and that was the that was the inferences that you can do whatever this fancy schmancy thing, but this is the only real good way to do it. And it's like, no, no, it's not. It's not just because it used to work. There are certain principles that certainly apply, but that concept of a rock, everything in life is so dynamic. Nothing ever stays absolutely the same. The seasons change. Every year is different. Every year was like, wow, this was a weird year. This, this summer was longer. The summer was hotter. The summer was colder. The winter was colder. The winter was longer. Like even the times that were like, wow, we didn't really have a fall this year. Even the seasons that that change aren't consistent in how and why they do that. Everything in life is so chaotic, and yet we we try to grab this stability and say, no, this is the only way to do church and this and that, and in, and in doing so, we harm it. And that's the point I'm trying to make with all of this. There's an audience that we need. What is that audience for you? Do not settle for the audience that you want or the easy one. Find the audience that you need. Find the people that need it. And this goes back to another. And the audience that needs about. you. Where, I mean, how look at the refugees, you know, refugees are such a huge, they are desperate to find community. They are lost in a bra- in a brand new world that really doesn't want them or, or want to accept them. If the church can open up to them. Oh my word. There's a huge yeah. thing there. Do you have what, uh, what can you, what, Groups of people in your community desperately need to hear the gospel. Find ways to bring it to them instead of staying with, well, you know what, let's do this music here because we're all in our 70s and 80s and this is what makes us feel good. Don't make church just about you. Yeah. You've also got communities, uh, those of you who are in communities of like uh, with high illegal immigrant numbers. You've got a whole generation of kids who were born here whose parents were illegal. And the kids are naturalized. The parents aren't. And so you've got people, and I've read stories about this, getting detained and deported. But their kids are here. And you've got literal, because of illegal immigration and and the way that the government's cracking down on it, not political talk. I'm just saying, this is now what is happening. The reality is is people are getting deported and families are being broken up. How many 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 kids? Yeah. How many children? 14, 16, 12 would be Adventists for the rest of their life if churches in the community specifically sought them out and said, you can stay with a church family and we will, we will find ways, we will make it our mission we'll to try to find ways to, to, to get your parents over here the correct way and we will fight for you. How, how strong would they be? I've met so many people born in this church that stay in this church by a string by a string, they are not active. They are not. They're only here because I was. Well, I was born into it. Those people, I guarantee you, if we were to, if, if we were to create a reputation for that, we would create members that not only were on fire, mm-hmm. but would be so loyal to to not the organization, but to the people, and would be willing to accept the gospel. And and this is you know Christ's method and all that. And and, and I know we're over time. 
Oh, but this is just so passionate for me. To, it, we we want we settle. Mm-hmm. And again, this is what I I was seeing all this in my mind's eye. I mean, I feel like it's that episode, you know, of a show or wherever where he looks and all of a sudden it's like, you know, you get like this whole world in that moment. When I saw this church and I had the moment of realization, like I saw everything of like how many people in this community and and they're just settling. They're settling, and it's I dare I say lazy. It is lazy, and God is going to call them out. He's going to look at them and say, my good and faithful servant, how many of these people, why were you, why did you, why did you do so little with the opportunities that I gave you? And this is also, understand a critique I ask of myself. I am not looking at them and saying them, I'm saying me. Yeah, I do this. I, I, I fully understand. How can I do that? Because 100%. I can't change it. I'm not the pastor of that church. I'm not a member of that church. I cannot, I cannot help that. And again, that congregation, you know, that's, that's a, that's a, that's well, a thing I, that I can't do, but how can I change that in my life and in the influence that I have in my circle? Well, and there, there, you know, I, I do think it speaks to the laziness too. When we talk about illegal immigration, um, as we wrap up by opening two new cans of worms that I'm about to open, ding, ding, ding. Uh, which is we're so quick. Those who are calling for illegal immigrants to be deported um, are so quick to call for punishment and so quick to call for the breaking up of families. And then we don't care about repa- repairing those families and taking care of them. You say, yeah, they came over here illegally. They need to go home and come over here the correct way. And we have no interest in actually helping them or easing the process or changing the process to make it more effective. Because uh, most people can't afford to come here legally. Literally, they can't afford it. They'll never be able to afford it. Um, and so it's it's lazy to desire punishment over dis- discipline. The entire art of discipline, if 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 illegal immigration is wrong, right? If, if coming over here illegally was wrong, even though the country was founded on basically illegal immigration. Um, but if, if you're Caucasian at all yeah, um, and have no native blood, I just want to yeah. let you know. <laughs> Uh, Sorry, but, but yeah, I, and I am. I'm a legal immigrant. I'm the product of immigration. So um, the entire method of discipline was is restorative, and it's to build someone up and make them better than they were before. Punishment is just punishing someone. It's just doing something, giving someone consequences of their actions. But discipline seeks to restore. It's holistic. It's meant to be holistic. Um, and yet we say no, just punish, don't discipline. Um, the other side of this too that I, I this is the other can of worms both episodes in their own rights, um, is abortion. The biggest issue I have with those calling for the ending of abortion and in, in, in making it illegal, um, is it Roe v. Wade that they're wanting to overturn, right? Yeah. 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 Um, is that they, they care so much about kids in the womb, but the second that those kids are out in the world, they're on their own. Forgetting that, I would be okay with people saying no more abortion if every church had an adoption and foster care system set up. Yeah, like like something, just something. I, that's and I'm not saying you can't if, be if, against if, abortion if you only care not. about whole, no. the whole life. No, 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 I'm no, just no. saying we need but, to create a whole. There life is ethic. there is a major problem when you say you absolutely have to keep this child, and we will in no way support you as Christians. Yeah, you've made this mistake that you have to live with the rest of your life, and we're not going to help you figure it out. And I'm not saying again that there aren't. I, I'm not getting into that whole debate, but I'm saying. Why are we so quick to level out punishment without support? Did Jesus ever do that? Yeah. Jesus is an Jesus was an illegal immigrant. He went to Egypt. He fled to Egypt. He was a refugee. Your Lord and Savior 
was a Jewish refugee. So I think we need to be very, very careful when we are when we settle for audiences that we want and are comfortable with. There are people that need us. And this is and by the way, this is white communities, this is black communities, this is Hispanic communities, this is Asian communities, this is uh uh name it, name it, Australian, you know, all the continents. If you are only comfortable ministering to people who look, think, and sound like you and not the people who are around you, if you are so self-centered that you cannot minister to your neighbors who are literally next to you, then you need to question where your walk with Christ is at. And I say that fully acknowledging that that is a major struggle of mine. Yeah, it's a struggle. Like, I'm not saying none of us are perfect in this. It is absolutely a struggle. But I, I saw that in the moment, and I said, man, this is something that we need to address, and we need to at least talk about it. Get it out there, because I don't want—and by the way, again, I'm going to say—we've said this before, another thing. If your church is doing this, good on you. This is yep. not for you. Please keep it up. Talk to us. Tell us how you're doing it. I want to hear good stories. I want to hear positive stories about how you're doing this so that I can talk about this and, and do shout-outs and be like, you know what? This, this church, I'd love to name a church and be like, see, they told me about this ministry. This is awesome. Mm. Um, but I want to see that because I have seen more, those tend to be the exception rather than the rule. And that to me is it, it, we need to talk about it. It's absurd that that is true. I, uh, I want to end with this, I think. Um, and, and you can, you can chime in on this too, as we close, but, uh, I think really the line between contextualization and conformity is, um, what really defines whether you're doing one or the other, um, is, um, how secure your identity in Christ is, or how secure you, um, how secure your understanding of your identity in Christ is, um, and how firm the foundation of your faith or, of your mission is. Um, so, if you how clear you understand your vision or your mission, um, and how secure your understanding of your identity in Christ, those two things for me are driving factors in contextualization versus conformity, because conformity adopts the values of of the people around it. Contextualization keeps your values. Um, while simply using methods that are relevant to the culture around you. So if you know who you are in Christ, and you know why you're doing what you're doing, then you're fine, in my opinion. Um, I'm not going to get in your way. Um, I'm not—for that, that, me, that, that's kind of the big line. Yeah. Um, and I think that's pretty—that's generic or broad enough that it can hit the majority of people. If you are secure in your identity in Christ, you know whose you are, and your your mission is is clear to you. You know exactly who you're trying to reach. You know you know what you're trying to do, um, and you never lose sight of that. Your team never loses sight of that. You have specific ways of making sure that you yeah. are constantly reminding yourself of that. And, you're and, taking and, care and of and yourself. And listening, obviously, to the leading of the Holy Spirit and, and in God. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Those two things for me are, 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 are big. So um, as you seek to be to contextualize and not conform, I... Um, I just want to encourage you um, to 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 find security in your identity in Christ and um, set out your mission clearly with your church or with your team or just with yourself. That's really big. Any final thoughts, Tony? You know, I, I think that that's such a great point. Um, the other, the, you know, be open to the Spirit leading. Um, I think this is not my church. This is God's church. I take ownership of it because I love it but it's God's church and he's trying to lead it. And I think so many times we shut our ears to the leading of the Holy spirit. Um, 
because of nostalgia and different reasons, and we are afraid of conforming when the reality is we should be um, much more much more open to what God is trying to do because he won't lead us in a direction that'll take people away. I feel like we should have some soft music behind us. Our voices both changed yeah, to the altar yeah. call. Just both to, of us changed to, to the altar super call. Soft and, uh, no, I agree. Um, welcome to NPR. <laughs> um, so that's, yeah, that's our episode. Um, thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, once again, you can find us on iTunes. Um, subscribe to us there. Um, I want to do this. I haven't done this in a while. Thank you to Justin Janetsko for our intro music. Uh, really appreciate him for that. Um, Love you, JJ. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Patreon.com slash Absurdity Podcast. If you want to support us financially, it would really help us out. Um, if you're a visitor, please all, don't feel... Yeah, if you're a visitor to this podcast, don't to feel compelled to give. We'd love to um, unless you feel blessed. Patreon is secure. It is safe. You create an account, and then you can donate monthly. Um, even a dollar helps. All the money goes back into this podcast. So thank you guys so much for listening. Um, leave a review. Like us on Facebook. Absurdity Podcast is the URL. Um, and find us on Twitter, at Ryan180Becker. Uh, at Tony under underscore nobly. Yep. And uh, all those links will be down in the description and we will see you next week. Today's episode of absurdity is sponsored by the haystack. The haystack is a voice for young adults in the seventh day Adventist church that produces articles, music reviews, videos, and more to check them out. Go to www.thehaystack.org. The Haystack. Life. Culture. Theology.